Hi, I'm Jessica Mackin, the editor of The Independent Newspaper, and this is Indie Voices. Here we will share community news, interviews, and panel discussions with community leaders. Topics will include local arts and culture, environmental issues, real estate, and anything else that is on the minds of the East End community. Indie Voices celebrates everything East End. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Ailey Cohen, the founder of The Smart Human. She discusses environmental exposures, especially those found in water, and their impact on human health. Ailey is introduced by CNN anchor Don Lemon. The episode was previously recorded at the Independence Waterviews Festival on June 6, 2019 at Guildhall in East Hampton. Now, it'll, and we were backstage talking. You know, we're old folks, right? We don't have that much longer. It starts with the kids. That's what's important. And Ailey's going to talk about that a little bit more. So finally, we've got Ailey Cohen. Ailey is the founder of The Smart Human. Dr. Ailey Cohen is a board-certified rheumatologist. That's a big title. Um, an integrative uh, medicine specialist, an environmental health expert specializing in arthritis, immune system disorders, and women's health. In 2012, she was honored as the recipient of the Jones Lovell Rheumatology Scholarship at the Center for Integrative Medicine. Please welcome to the stage now, Ailey Cohen, everyone. Thank you. So just give me a second real quick. Uh, set up my computer here. I'm old, so I have to look at some of my notes. Uh, here we go. Okay. Speaker view, slideshow, presenter view. Okay. All right, so I know I'm the closer, so I asked to be the closer because I'm trying to really inspire people to not leave here and go drink, but to really go out and to make some really good changes for themselves. And I'm sure you've heard so many things that you can do already from the speakers that we've heard. So that's been wonderful to listen to. Um, I'm going to use this and this, so it's going to be a little bit of a uh, juggle, okay? So let me start with, now I'm doing the green, right? Okay. There we go. Okay. So we're going to talk about drinking water, but I want to tell you this is a microcosm of the work that I do in terms of trying to educate everybody about all of the exposures that we experience as human beings and trying to connect the environment, which we've heard so much about, with human health and why that matters. So I'm hopefully going to convey some of that information to you in a reasonable way, in a way that makes you empowered and not resistant. So chemical exposure, um, let's talk about this. Is this how most of you feel you need to come down to breakfast in the morning? So um, when I first started getting into this information, I needed to know the information so that I could what is this? Oh, the clicker. OK, OK, gotcha. So I needed to know the information so that I could understand what it is I had to learn and how I could convey it. So I want to start by saying, um, number one, we have over 42 million pounds of synthetic chemicals that come into this country every year. We have about 1,000 new chemicals that are put into use every year. There are 15 new polymers that are patented in the US every week. And only five chemicals have ever been banned in the US under the Toxic Substance Control Act of 1976 under the Ford administration. So we have a big pickle here. 
Um, as human beings, anthropology means quite a bit to me. We've been evolving for over 4.5 million years. And these man-made chemicals have only been in our lives for the past 200 years. So that's a lot of change for the human body to experience. And as a clinician, I'm seeing a lot of this, but the data actually supports it as well. OK, again, why should we care? What's the buy-in? And that's my job with patients, but also to community work that I do. Now, Realistically, we know that it's not just about environment, right? It's this intricate dance between environment, our lifestyle, and our genetics. So they all work together to decide who's sick, who's healthy, and that's a long-term project, right? Because we do things in our teens, in our 20s, in our youth that we may not be doing as adults when we know better. Um, as the director of the NIH, Francis Collins, says, genetics loads the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. So it's all about making those changes to reduce those risks. We also know that the human body is incredibly vulnerable and very intricate. So I do a lot of work with what are called endocrine disrupting chemicals, okay? The chemicals, including the plastics and pesticides and air uh, pollutants that get into the human body and actually disrupt the human hormone systems. And many of you must know that, we, that hormones really are, are released at every time in our life, but at certain periods of life, um, particularly in utero exposure, during toddler years, teen years, and we're gonna get into that on the next slide, which is that it's not just the specific chemicals that can be of issue because they're categorized as neurotoxins or nephrotoxins or liver toxins or chemicals that do certain jobs to be emulsifiers or pesticides, but it's actually the timing of these chemicals that's actually very critical. And for these endocrine-disrupting chemicals, that's very, very important to how they wreak havoc in terms of thyroid disease and long-term chronic illness, obesity, insulin resistance, growth and development. Um, and so on and so forth. So I guess the slide didn't come up with the information, so I'm just going to tell you. So children are uniquely vulnerable, okay? And this had a whole list of things I'm going to tell you now. So children, pound for pound, have greater exposure to environmental chemicals. It's just a given. They're also on the ground, they're on the floor, they have hand-to-mouth behavior, they lack a variety in their diet. And we now know that certain diet can actually reduce the uh, harm from environmental exposures. It's a whole nother talk for another time, but it's remarkable how certain foods we eat can actually help do the job of detoxing. Um, in addition, their, their body systems are immature. Their detoxability, their liver function, um, their metabolism is different than an adult. So they don't have the ability to get rid of environmental exposures as much as adults do. And also, they have more years of life. So when they're exposed to these chemicals very young and they have a cumulative effect over time, you can see as the time goes on that they're having more potential risk of, health, of chronic health issues. Now, what about in pregnancy? So pregnancy is a critical time. And it's also a happy time, but it's a very critical time for human health in terms of organ development, brain development. And we know that different times during development, during in utero exposure, different parts of the body are being created. Um, and when we talk about water, this is a really particular um, population that we really want to think about because so much is created in this environment. When a pregnant woman is exposed, I think this is important to know, not only is she exposed to something, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, right? It could be good things as well, but the fetus is exposed, but also the fetal germ cells. So the cells that will become ovaries and testes are actually exposed in the fetus. So three generations are actually exposed at once to any given exposure. 
We know that this is becoming an issue. If nothing else, we have all the medical bodies, I shouldn't say all, it's taken a long time, um, but many of the medical community um, leaders, including the uh, American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, American Society for Reproductive Medicine, the Endocrine Society, American Academy of Pediatrics, World Health Organization. Endocrine disrupting chemicals are becoming a worldwide issue. Where do they come from? Chemicals from plastics, pesticides, air pollution. Um, so these are real big issues that are now starting to make their way into the Western uh, medical community. And I think this is a critical quote. I, when I came across this, it sort of summed it up for me. Neurons are being formed at a rate of 250,000 per minute on average over the course of a pregnancy. And that's a lot of opportunity for things to go awry. And so that was from Irva Hertz-Picciola. She runs the UC Davis um, Center for Environmental Health. So we now know that this is a critical time that we want to pay special attention to. So let's talk about drinking water, because what I want to do is I want to teach you about it, but I also want you to leave here knowing what you can do about your own drinking water. I will start by saying the U.S. has some of the cleanest drinking water in the world, and we are a little spoiled to be here, myself included, to be talking about this. So I want to just have a big perspective, and then we're going to deep dive into something that we can do to make it a little bit better for ourselves and the people around us. So you might have heard this in elementary school, we are made up of water. Our organs are made up of mostly water, and this is really important to know because what we put in our body is going to go to these organs. We have to know that we are filling our body up with either clean stuff or bad stuff at a very simple level. And some of the things, uh, by the way, body mass, by body mass index, water constitutes the most heavily, heavily consumed substance of any volume of any substance. So by our body mass index, we need water. We consume it more than anything else. And really, that points to the question of why shouldn't it be the cleanest it can be? Um, this slide didn't come out perfectly, but basically, water has so many functions in the human body. You know, you would understand moistening our air, carrying nutrients to our cells, um, regulating body temperature, cushioning our joints, removing waste toxins. So we really need water, but we want clean water. Now let's talk about um, public drinking water. It's supposed to say public drinking water. So um, public drinking water serves approximately 88% of the US population. So we have about 300 million in this country. So about 250 million people are serviced by municipal tap water, treatment plant water. Um, and there's 160,000 public tre treatment plants in the country, 160,000. So what do we know about these treatment plants? Well, we know that these treatment plants are served 80% by surface water, so lake streams, um, and then also 20% by aquifers. So those waters get in, and also sewage water. I mean, sewage water does serve as drinking water. People don't realize that as well. Any of the chemicals that are in the air can get onto bodies of water on surface and make their way into our treatment plants. Now, this is um, a list of just a few of the chemicals under what's called the Safe Drinking Water Act um, uh, that was discussed a little earlier that was basically set up in 1972-74 with some amendments. And basically under the Safe Drinking Water Act, which still remains today, only 91 chemicals are regulated, monitored, and remediated across the country, 91. So there are over 90,000 commercial and industrial chemicals that circulate our air, they're in our products, they're on our personal care products, they're, they're pretty much everywhere. They're industrial and they're allowed to get into our lives, but our treatment plant 
plants are only required by law to manage 91 chemicals. And I thought that was astounding when I first heard that. So I want to show you what I conceived of as, well, what is coming in before the treatment plants and what are coming, what's coming out after the treatment plants? Like, how, how good are these treatment plants that serve so many millions of Americans? So you can see that you can get a variety of contaminants before a treatment plant from air, from streams, from toilets, what have you. So you can get bacteria and viruses. The water pipes can produce you know, lead, copper, certainly agricultural runoff, which we heard a great deal about today, medications radon and some of the radionucleotides from the earth and, and certainly from any runoff from any industrial plants, um, but also things that are in the air, VOCs, um, dioxins, they land on bodies of water and get into our water system. Plasticizers, even hydraulic fracking, uh, coal ash. So there's a lot of things you may not even have heard about that actually can make their way into either the aquifers or the surface bodies that end up getting into our treatment plants. So let's see what um, comes out the other side for most of our plants, okay? So pretty much PFOA and PFOS, which you're probably familiar with, the perfluoralkyls, the Teflon chemicals, the nonstick, grease-free, stain-proofing chemicals that are pervasive in this state, but also in New Jersey, where I am from, um, they don't have a mechanism for being washed off. Medications, radionucleotides, microplastics, coal ash, all of these chemicals, many of which I talked about before the treatment plant, are coming out the other end because we have old infrastructure and we have old laws. Uh, so 89,000 pretty much are coming out the other end and heading perhaps even 30 or 40 miles, like our house and our system, to our home, which could have any number of breaks in the piping along the way, besides the fact that it's PVC piping. So when you start to think about what's coming to your home, it gets you a little nervous. Okay, this is supposed to say well water. So what about well water? Because a lot of people are served by well water. In fact, 44 million people in this country are served by well water, which means they don't have treatment plot plant um, regulations. They're not covered by any of those 91 chemical laws. Uh, 91 chemicals um, are not monitored and regulated. In fact, well water doesn't even have to be tested for chemicals unless you sell your home. And even then, it's a very limited amount of chemicals that you're required to have tested. So there's a lot of people served by this kind of water. And what kind of things get into well water? Um, there's a lot of things, including the ones we talked about, including um, metals, fluoride, nitrates, particularly from farming, get into wells. So this is supposed to be a slide showing you um, all of the different, which many of you may have been around um, to know, these are all the um, contaminations that are well known in the news. Um, we've heard about, obviously, Flint, Michigan with lead, which we'll talk about, Ohio River with the PFOAs, um, Hooksick Falls, New York, of course. Um, but we have, oh boy, we have no time. All right, so let me keep going. All right, lead, I'm gonna go quickly. These are some of the things that contaminate our water that we have to think about. Lead is pervasive, it's not just in Flint, it's New Jersey, it's all over the country. 44% of these, this amount of schools, of 11,000 schools that were tested for lead, had higher levels than they should have. Schools aren't testing, they're not required to test for lead. Only eight states in the whole country are required to test lead in their water system. Okay, so home is one thing, now we have schools. We know that there's no safe level of lead. No matter how many people try to spin it, there's no safe level of lead. Zero is normal, or should be. Arsenic, arsenic is a carcinogen, has a bunch of other health effects, okay? Different kinds of it, but it gets into our water. It's definitely a fertilizer 
um, used and it's been around a while and it stays around a while. Perfluoralkyls live forever. They are in our environment forever, as many of us know. They can get into our water, cause a whole health, ho host of health issues, particularly thyroid disease, thyroid dysfunction, thyroid cancers, um, but also autoimmune diseases um, and a whole host of other issues, including reduction in vaccine um, immunity. Pesticides, I'm not gonna go into this too much. Uh, we've been uh, inundated, but it's a real problem in our country, in particular our water. This is atrazine hitting most of the middle of the country. This is glyphosate. I live in New Jersey. We have glyphosate in our backyard. It's something we're all living with. I mean, look how much it's, this is 1992 versus 2013. You can see how the growth of glyphosate has been enormous. Um, as we talked about, or someone had talked about earlier, this is how these chemicals get into our system. So they sink down. Soil is, is a sponge. I mean, if anyone's ever read the, the book Tom's River by Dan Fagan, it's a remarkable story. Similar, it happened in New Jersey in terms of contamination, and it was just a remarkable story. But essentially, water can travel, and contaminants can travel for miles, miles and miles from contamination site. And hydraulic fracking is another really big area that people are studying. Um, it's, it's a little scary, and we need to really think about that. So microplastics, they're showing up in bottled water, they're showing up in running water. Um, some violations uh, are not getting remediated. That was the last slide. Most 90% of violations that are actually caught don't get remediated. It's in our hands, folks. We have to do stuff. We have to do it. Um, the engineers of New York, they gave themselves a C in terms of infrastructure for uh, drinking water. So these are our own engineers across New York State. What can we do about it? I'm gonna rock and roll, but hopefully you'll get this. Okay, let me just see here. Um, first of all, we wanna filter at the point of use, and I can't stress this enough. No matter where your water comes from, we want to filter it when it comes out of the sink. So whether it comes from the well, it comes from 40 miles away, we wanna definitely filter at the point of use, okay? And that's where we have the greatest Pitcher filters, which are carbon, that do, they serve a purpose. Um, the sink filters, um, there's all different types of filters. Some filters work just for bacteria, um, which I think is not enough. Um, we have to think about reverse osmotic water filters, which I'm gonna show you right now are the most aggressive types of filters that you can find on a consumer market. So it has to go through tons of um, surface area, sits in a tank, and then you use it when its time is right. Now from a sustainability issue, there are issues, especially in California where water use is limited. But I want people to know all types of filters and any filter is very good. I recommend it for everybody. This is my RO filter after nine months of use. Um, it's pretty much like a dialysis machine, by the way. My dad's a, a dialysis doctor, and we spend hours talking about the regulations that are required for dialysis water for patients and how we don't ever have that conversation with regular drinking water. It's really astounding to me. Um, the places to look for good guidance, okay? I just communicate this information. Environmental Working Group, ewg.org, has a wonderful filter guide section. It's worth exploring knowing what kind is right for you and your family, whether you're in an apartment, whether you're traveling, whatever it is, they're great. Transport of water, glass and stainless steel only. You really wanna avoid BPA-free plastic bottles. Their regrettable substitutions are put in there, BPS, BPS, BPFB. The chemical industry has gotten very good at replacing our bad chemicals with bad ones and even badder chemicals. I don't think that's proper English, but you get my drift. Um, so essentially you wanna to stick to matrix, the matrix material that won't break down in heat, 
with scratching. So you want to stick to stainless steel, you want to stick to glass, and especially the tops of coffee mugs that are flip-top plastics on a stainless steel. Catch yourself on that, because people do that quite a bit for convenience. Plastic water bottles, really inter interesting. They're not covered under the Safe Drinking Water Act, so they don't even have the 91 chemicals monitored and regulated. So the FDA controls wells and bottled water. So pretty much it's all 50% are municipal tap um, that they found on testing. Um, the their agency's own, the company, the uh, industry's own website talks about how they're assigned very low priority for inspection. So we really don't know what we're getting in, in water from water bottles, but particularly the plastics. Um, this was a, literally a picture I took in Cape May, New Jersey, 100 degree weather as I was waiting at a red light. And I thought to myself, as usual, these are sitting there, there's no one around, and they will be hot and melted by the time they get to a refrigerated convenience store. So we need to think about that process before it lands up, lands in our homes. Not so much better. People think it's better. These are lined with the same plastics and water bottles. Um, it's basically peat number one recyclable material, but it is a coating of plastic or else they would fall apart, right? If it was water, it would fall apart through paper. So we just want to think about that as well. Probably better for the earth, but not so much for human health. Um, environmental, water, uh, water, environmental Working Group has a database. You type in your zip code, and it will tell you something about your water quality. Very helpful. This is also a consumer confidence report. You are entitled by most communities to get this once a year annually from your water system company if you're a municipal tap person. So definitely explore that. Um, and my take-home messages, which doesn't say take-home, but anyway, these are my take-home messages from this talk. We have to do something for human health for ourselves. Um, I want everyone to do their job in design, in politics, in rallying states and, and, and federal regulations. But my feeling as a doctor who sees these illnesses on the front line, and ultimately we all just want to be healthy, my feeling is this is my job, to convey to people that environment matters to human health, and that we can do something to help reduce multiple, many exposures. This is the textbook. I'm selling it outside at cost. Um, I just want you to know, this was written with Fred Valmsall, uh, my partner in crime. He was responsible for taking BPA out of baby bottles in 2010. That's as far as he could get in this country. He did a lot more in Europe and Canada. But his group and all his research team for endocrine disruption are, from, are remarkable, and there's 26 contributors um, including an entire chapter on clean drinking water written by um, one of the head of the NIH water division, um, Christopher Weiss, who's remarkable. This is what I set up to educate everybody I can find, including high school students, which is my big project moving forward. We got to get to younger people. We got to teach them about health and prevention before they're sick, before their family members are sick, and so that they can feel empowered for their own choices. Um, so if you feel comfortable, please like, follow, share with friends and family. I sell nothing. I endorse nothing. It's squeaky clean. So that would be wonderful for my work. And that is it. Thank you. Thank you. I need a drink. <laughs> Thank you, Ailey. Thank you for listening and for tuning in to today's episode. If you've enjoyed, please comment, share, or subscribe. You can also check out our website, IndieEastEnd.com slash IndieVoices.